I'm Molly. I'm Jen. And we are Rosemary's Ladies, a podcast where two mythical bitches do witty retellings of horror movies, bad movies, and bad horror movies. Past episodes include Paranormal Activity, Gods of Egypt, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and Happy Death Day. And you can listen to our podcast at rosemarysladies.com, Spotify, Stitcher, and most podcast apps. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for weekly episode announcements and spoopy memes. Creep on, creeping on. Hello, friends and enemies. Welcome to Perhaps It's You, an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast that's also super unofficial. Very unofficial. I'm we Liz. can't forget to mention that. I'm Samantha. And it's so unofficial. And I'm also kind of not awake. <laughs> so hi. It's and a, welcome. a really gloomy day. It's so fall, cold. Fall is over. It's winter, folks. No. Samantha, why are you so cruel? <laughs> I'm not cruel. Life Robert is Stack cruel. might call Mother Nature a cruel mistress. Yes. Uh, much like the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down as well. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We're here. We're here to feel, fill your earbuds. With Unsolved Mysteries content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I think we have some Oh, we have so many updates. thank yous. We have, oh, a million thank yous. Do you have any non-thank you updates? We have to mention that... W- our voices are on another podcast this week. Oh, yes. This is true. True story. Uh, should we apologize for that? <laughs> I, I think know. it's just a statement of fact. It's okay. not good. It's not bad. It just <laughs> happened. We were asked by one of our lovely listeners to participate in their new podcast, which is called From the Cutting Room Floor. So, hi, Josh. Hi. Uh, thanks for having our voices on your podcast. We're not exactly guests. We do a bit of acting. <laughs> yeah okay uh which is something i never thought <laughs> i never thought i would do it's about little shop of horrors which is content you might be interested in if you like unsolved mysteries and you obviously don't hate our voices so go give their ep- episode one a listen yeah those worlds collide mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you get to hear me like kind of not sing but sing I yeah, don't you I don't do. Know. That's a thing that happened. You do. Uh, I'm not saying that I look. I'm not an actress. There's a reason for that. But look, it just exists. <laughs> we're not. We're not praising our involvement in it. We're no. just saying that it happened. But it is a, a great episode of what's sure to be a great podcast. I love. Get the in. Con- I love the concept. Uh, get in, yeah, get in early. Get in early, us. and then be like, I knew about that. I've been listening since the very first episode. Yeah, absolutely. Been there. So that you're, like, one of the originals, you know? I'm not saying that Liz's rich person voice makes an appearance, but... <laughs> it sort of does. It, it sort of does. Kinda it might... Does. I don't know. Didn't hear that from me. All right, anything else? Um, I'm sure there was supposed to be something, but... My brain is just mush. Should we jump into thank yous? Because we got a bunch of podcast mail. We got so much podcast mail. We looked so popular. I had to make a special trip to work to go pick up all this stuff because we're like the coolest. We are also our listeners are the coolest. Let's start with No, no, it's all us. Let's start with Mia. Mia sent us some Mothman gifts, including this little plush Mothman that I think Mia made. I know. And it's incredible. It's the cute. This is adorable. Mia, do you sell these? 
if you do, if you have an Etsy shop, you need to let us know so we can plug it on the podcast because this is the cutest little Mothman plushie I've ever seen. It is super cute. It has some Mothman pins. Affixed to the Mothman plushie are two Mothman pins. Uh, one says, watch your back for the men in black. And then one says, Mothman has little Mothman on it. Uh, I believe these came from the Mothman Festival. Yes. So we got a little postcard. Oh, and some Mothman coffee. This is very exciting. I think this is a cool thing to get when you travel to different places is get like coffee that's roasted there. I think that's a cool thing to do. This is Mothman Brew, and it's from Point Pleasant, uh, right off Main Street. And then included is a little card with the Flatwoods Monster on it. And uh, it says, hi, Liz and Samantha. Sorry you had to miss the Mothman Festival. That is a tragedy. I thought I'd send you a piece of it. So thank you so much, Mia. I cherish this, honestly. These are amazing. This little plushie. so cool. So cute. Okay, next up uh melinda sent us two pins all the way from australia all the way from australia one is a mothman pin and it says mothman it's like the batman logo but it says mothman mothman and its little eyes are little red jewels it's pretty great which is pretty adorable we're gonna fight over it and then there's a little ghost that says see you in hell it's a ghost skull with with a skull face and it says see you in hell and it's giving two middle fingers yeah which it's kind of how I live my life. Extremely appropriate, especially for Liz. <laughs> uh, yeah, these came all the way from Australia. The card that Melinda included has a llama on the front that's very festive. And the message inside is, festive llama wants you to have a happy early Halloween. So I Honestly, Halloween is like our Christmas. We love yeah. getting Halloween yeah. gifts. Liz has a Halloween tree. <laughs> so this is perfect. It's all very exciting. Now... Next, who sent you have to remind me? Jen? This is from Jen. This is from Jen. We got so much stuff from Jen. So many gummies of various types. All right, it's snack time on this podcast because we have a variety of snacks from Weaver Nut Sweets and Snacks. Uh, let's see. First of all, we, we have, have starfish, gummy starfish. We have Coca Cola gummies. Have you uh, tried these? I love. Co- I haven't tried any of them. I love a Coca Cola gummy. Gummy chicken feet and gummy eyeballs. You know how you need just a, like a a solid pound of gummy chicken feet. Well, we have that. Uh, Be jealous. I'm gonna try a gummy eyeball. Do you want to try one? Sure. Oh, these are good. Oh, they're denser than I was expecting. They're large too. You can make a meal of those. <laughs> what are you having for dinner? Gummy eyeballs again. I keep. Pu- put my finger on the flavor no it's just kind of gummy it's good though you know like an eyeball should taste oh the chicken feet are a lot smaller <laughs> oh these chicken feet are good <laughs> these kind of taste like the uh starburst gummy worm gummy snakes <gasps> your favorite mm-hmm. hmm. i don't know about you chicken feet i don't know that i'm into the chicken feet all right more for me <laughs> oh you're gonna like these coca-cola bottles I always do. They're so good. Now our table is just covered in gummies. As it should be. Always, yeah. Okay, the gummy starbursts are, are huge. Or star, starfish, I said, I meant to say. Actually, are I think large. they're we're supposed to say sea stars. Oh, sea stars. You're right. You're right. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, different, not they're different fish. colors, so I don't know if they're different flavors, but... They're huge. They're really big. They're I'm like, not going to be able to talk with this in my mouth. It's like bigger than my eye. That's a standard of measurement, right? My eyeball. Welcome to Mouth Noises, a weekly podcast where we chew gummies. It's hard to do a podcast with a large, dense starburst go- starfish gummy in your mouth. 
if you didn't like <laughs> live and learn samantha if you didn't like the the chicken feet i don't think you're gonna like this one <laughs> okay I'll, I'll i'll pass mostly for the sake of talking but we do really appreciate those jen uh amazing and jen There's, also sen- sent gifts for the pod dogs yep as you should, by the way. Uh, Jen sent these Neutro Crunchy Treats, which I have given to my dogs before. I know they're a big hit. And then, even more amazing, puppy cake cake it's a, mix? It's a cake mix for dogs. You make a cake for dogs, and it's pumpkin flavored, and you there's directions on the back. Yeah. You can make eight. Oh, so this makes- Pup cakes? This way it makes one six-inch round cake or eight pup cakes. So- uh, this is amazing, and the I no pod idea. dogs will definitely Those be getting a special cake. Do they need to celebrate something? Do you got like a adoption day coming up? Because we could make a little little cake for them, and maybe they'll have like a Halloween treat. Oh yeah, that's great. I don't know. It is pumpkin, so that's right on on brand. <laughs> and there's an icing mix included, so you don't even have to. You can frost it even. <laughs> frost a cake for a dog, and the entire what a time thing, to be alive. The entire thing uh, is dog friendly uh so that's pretty awesome oh my goodness such amazing gifts such amazing our listeners are just the most amazing people yeah and they treat us like royalty they really do we don't deserve any of this but Mm. thank you i'm gonna eat these chicken feet all podcast long (laughs) (laughs) totally of course why wouldn't you also a little while ago we talked about some um mystery cheesies that arrived and I forgot to thank George. So thank you, George. George, you're the best. George has been listening to this show since, like, day one. Mm-hmm. He's really one of the five, so. Absolutely. George has bought us coffee a few times. Yeah. Definitely George is, appreciate that. George is great. Nothing thank is you, George. better than getting a surprise bag of cheesies in the mail, let me tell you. <sighs> no. Really. Even if Mac eats, like, half of them, which is what happened, but. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose since we are constantly kicking at him out of his own house so yeah, that we he, can record a podcast, he does deserve some cheesies. He cheesies. doesn't contribute nothing to this podcast. He, he does has to get suffer. banished to the porch from time to time. Or the heat just gets turned off, or <laughs> he gets kicked out. <laughs> oh, poor Mac. Who knew this hobby would be so invasive? Uh, I feel like there was probably something I was supposed to say, as usual. I'm drawing a blank. I'm just, I'm tired, everybody. I don't think so. I don't like this change in weather at all. No, and we're going on a a fall outing this afternoon. We are. Even though it feels not very fall outside. (laughs) The leaves haven't even turned, and it snowed yesterday, and it's not okay. And don't tell me that I live in Minnesota and I should expect this. No, it's not fine. It's not even November yet. Halloween hasn't even happened. Snow in November. We didn't even get like pretty fall leaves, and we're supposed to be going on a a scenic trolley tour through a cemetery today, which is so on brand for us. They're gonna serve us hot apple cider. Everything about it, I was like, yes, yes. And then we wake up today, and it's like, oh, is it thirty four degrees? And there's snow on the ground. Yes. Oh, maybe. I just want a nap. Maybe I don't want to go on a trolley tour through a freezing cold cemetery. <laughs> I hate everything. Yeah, it's not great. But we're going to go. We're meeting friend of the pod, Rochelle, there. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to drink some apple cider. We're going to see a beautiful cemetery. And Do you think I can bring a thermos and, like, make them, f- like, no, fill it up? Fill the whole thermos? I mean, you could try. Because I want to take it on the trolley to stay warm. Really, we should be putting baked potatoes in our pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep us nice and toasty. We should be putting wah, baked potatoes in our pocket. Wah, wah. Okay. 
Well, in theory, this is an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. In theory. It's not a snack podcast as much as I want it to be. It isn't the podcast of eating snacks and taking naps, which I don't really know how that would work as a podcast, but if you could figure it out, sounds great. What episode are we talking about today? We're in season four. Episode 15. Already? Man, oh man. There are four mysteries in this one. Yes, there are. It's already better than the last one. Yeah, that is true. And our first... (laughs) That was a little Curtis. Mac is not here. He's not as upset as last week, but he's a little distraught. You might hear a few ooze. That's him. No, pe- folks seem to enjoy his voice. In I the know. Last episode. I found it extremely irritating, but everybody else seemed to find it charming, so that's fine then. Yeah, so you might hear him again. He's trotting back in. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Curtis. He's looking at me like, "What? How did you let this happen? You're so spoiled." That's the thing. He's just, oh man. Okay. All right. Our first mystery is an unexplained death. And this is the case of this is fucking sad. 25-year-old Philip Frazier, who left his Anchorage, Alaska home to go to Evergreen College in Washington State on June 14th, 1988. He's in his car, he's planning on driving through Canada to get to America, and he wants to go study pre-med uh, at college. This segment is fucking sad. If you're going to watch this, I really recommend wrapping up in like a nice quilt, get your hot cider. I don't, I don't know. It's a little bit brutal. It's brutal and depressing. I will say it a redeeming quality is some of the shots. You get a lot of scenic shots. Yeah, of it's well done. Canada and uh, the reenactments are really good, but it is quite kind of broke my heart though. It's quite sad. You end up feeling extremely bad for poor Philip Fraser and his family. So, on June 17th, after losing two travel days to car trouble, he crossed into Canada. Now, he was carrying uh, guns with him. He's from Alaska, so I guess that's not super strange. He's probably a hunter. Uh, He brought every possession he owned. He was moving uh, to go to college, so he naturally just packed his guns. However, American citizens are not allowed to... I think anyone who doesn't live in Canada is not allowed to just bring guns into Canada. So at the border, the customs officials seized his firearms and did not let him bring them. That doesn't really have anything to do with the story. I understand why they even brought that up. I wondered that myself, but the only thing I could think of is that he was, like, defenseless. So maybe they were posing that if he had... Because he had three guns. If maybe he had them, he could have, like defended himself, but I assume they were, like, packed in a bag in his trunk or something. That makes this, like, a weirdly pro-gun segment, this idea that if he had had his guns with him, he would have been able to defend himself, which there's no reason to think that that's true. No. I don't think there is, because I don't think they were under his seat or something. I don't know that even if they were, we could say whether or not... I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird detail. It's been used against him. Yeah, probably. It's a weird detail. But anyway, that's what happened. An hour later, he was on his way... The next day, a male hitchhiker was dropped off at the 40-mile flat cafe, or as Robert Stack likes to call it, a cafe. It was owned by Gay Frockledge and her daughter, Tina. The cafe is 600 miles from the border checkpoint. The man entered the cafe, and the Frockledges (laughs) felt that something was not quite right with him. This mom is awesome. She's She's pretty great. She sees this hitchhiker come in, and she says to her daughter, we've got a winner here. Because she knows in her gut that this guy is bad news and will not leave her daughter alone in the cafe with him. And I was like, you get it. Yeah. This woman's great. Well, and this is a very remote area. This guy comes in who's just acting strange. They can tell something is not right with him and her... 
yeah, Tina's mom was not letting her be alone with that guy for one second. I just, the fact that her immediate response was, we've got a winner here. <laughs> I was like, be my best friend. Please, can we hang out? Yeah, so they felt that his behavior was so strange that they thought he had, uh, quote, escaped from a mental institution, which is some dated language that uh, didn't age they well just, with the show. However, there they was, knew he was off. There was definitely something not right with this guy. Was a mom trusting her instincts, protecting her daughter? Yeah. Turns out they weren't wrong about him. So no, and with, they were dead right. With hindsight, you can say that. A few minutes later, Philip drove up to the ca- the cafe and began searching his car. I'm sorry, for the some, what? For something. The cafe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The cafe. Uh, Tina, uh, basically, Tina's mom said, hey, go out and help that normal guy, and I'll stay in here with him. Uh, <laughs> Tina went out to pump gas for another customer and said hello to Philip. The hitchhiker then paid for his meal, left the cafe, and asked Philip for a ride. At first, Philip refused, but the man then strangely began running after the car... And Philip allowed him in. He's like opening the door of the car as it's driving away, and he's like running alongside it. Yeah, as far as we know, he could have been high- carjacked at that moment. Maybe the man said, I have a gun and you have to take me. Uh, we don't know what went on, but we do know that he chased Philip down, opened the car door, and apparently demanded to be There's given a ride. There's this great exchange in the reenactment where the hitchhiker asks Philip where he's going. And then says, I'm going that way, too. And Philip just goes, good. (laughs) Which is the, like, best response. Like, good for you, pal. I'm getting in my car and driving, and I'm not taking you. Yeah. He's just like, good. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it so much. And I was like, oh, poor Philip. I know. I can relate to Philip. Okay. This was the last time. And you time. can tell... Okay, so the mom is watching this interaction from the cafe, and you know that she wants to go out there and be like, do not take this hitchhiker. Yeah. <sighs> and he doesn't, but then he drives away, the man chases him down, jumps in his car, and they drive away, and no one was able to stop them. And later, the mom says that her thought watching him drive away was that you're going to regret this. Yeah. And that's really true and it's very upsetting because this was the last time philip was ever seen alive eight hours later and 200 miles south of the cafe the hitchhiker flagged down eddie and pauline olsen of kitwanga kitwanga claiming that he was having car trouble according to the reenactment he was standing next to philip's car uh which i'm assuming they never mentioned that but i'm assuming that is that's true that it was philip's car yeah, I'm sure by this point Philip is dead. The Olsons could tell that he was nervous, but they assumed that he was just afraid of staying in the area alone. He claimed to be headed to college because he wanted to study pre-med. So he basically it's had Philip's story yeah. to tell them. Uh, they agreed to tow him back to their home, and they even let him stay the night in the basement of their house. Uh, which which is, was so adorable and sweet, and they're like, oh, you could have a good sleep down here. Lots of people have had a good sleep. And it's just like a couch in a basement. Yeah, the way that Mr. Olsen kept saying a good sleep was super cute. He has this Canadian accent, and he yeah, seems just like, you know, like a good person who wanted to help someone out, and I'm glad he wasn't brutally murdered in his sleep. Yeah, can you imagine how chilling that would be to know that you allowed this person to stay in your home? Uh... The next That's the problem, though, is I feel like we've really latched on to these stories, which are actually rare, as reasons to, like, not help people. Yeah. Because then, if you do, people are like, oh, what did you expect? You know? Right. 
it turns into this like victim blaming thing where it's just like this is a a good guy like letting people crash on your basement couch is a nice thing to do but in this case uh, risky uh, risky i guess risky so the next morning the man came upstairs and sat with to have coffee with the olsons he told them that he was philip frazier and that his parents were doctors in anchorage he said that he was going to college in the united states to study medicine he also mentioned that he wanted to sell his car for a plane ticket uh eddie olson asked if he could wait until monday so they could have uh the purchase go through customs but the hitchhiker refused saying that he had to leave soon so the olsons became suspicious i like that he was even trying to help him with that yeah yeah he was willing to buy the man's car just you know it was probably a good deal but uh he was willing to yeah drive him to customs or whatever and, and do that so these are really nice people uh, but they became suspicious when the man pulled out two wallets and began to behave strangely. Uh, he, went- he was like, oh, there's not money in my wallet. Let me take a look at Philip's wallet. <laughs> Pretty much. And he did end up giving them $20, I think, for their hospitality. Uh, he went out to repair his car, which had uh, simply a broken fan belt. He then drove away and was never seen again. I'm so glad those people are okay. I know. This could have gone so badly. Because they really, really seem like great people yeah and man oh man is that scary i know so 12 hours after the hitchhiker left the olsons you know what i thought when you bring that up is that what if they had it seems like they noticed that he was behaving strangely but they didn't say anything do you think if they had questioned him or been like hey buddy what's going on here that he would have murdered them maybe like they could have come really close to being murdered i think I mean, who knows with this guy, but... The it, fact that they accepted his his story of being Philip Fraser and it seems like never challenged him to his face might have saved their life. Yeah. Their lives. Anyway. And he didn't really start acting peculiar until the end. And right. so I think they were just like, no, let's just let him leave. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. It was the right thing to do. Yikes. Yeah. So 12 hours after the hitchhiker left the Olsons, Philip's burned out car was found at a car wash 300 miles from the Olsons' home. It was presumed that the hitchhiker set the fire to destroy evidence. Six weeks later, on July 27th, Philip's body was found in a gravel turnaround 70 miles from the Olsons' home. He had been shot to death with a pistol. Sadly, his murder his murder remains unsolved to this day. I hate it. I do have a little bit more information, and this is oh, from okay. the Unsolved Wiki. So, first of all, they showed uh, composite sketches that were made. <laughs> okay. That, that second uh, sketch look- is just like, if you sat down and you're like, this guy is a huge dope. <laughs> Can you draw just a doofus? Just a complete fucking dumbass. And the artist was like, like this? Perfect. Yes. (laughs) It's really true. And then it's like comically like Tweedledum, Tweedledee looking like do 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 do. Like just absurd. Really absurd, and he has a, like a bowl haircut in that one, and now the others. I don't know. It's, it's like a carny in a movie, it's like not a real person that works at a carnival, <laughs> like someone cast to be strange. Yeah, that is very true. And then if you want to hear Robert Stack say the word flabby, which is not something I ever thought would happen, he that is apparently how this man was described. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Liz is just shaking her head. Hey, I I really just want to hear the description that led to that sketch where it's like, <laughs> no, no, he looks way stupider. Okay, so since the case aired, Philip's father unfortunately died. Uh, 
Recently, there's been some speculation that Philip was the victim of Canadian serial killer Michael McGravy. Canada has serial killers? Yeah, Michael McGray, who murdered Mm. several hitchhikers around the time of Philip's death. He also matches the description of Philip's suspected killer, (laughs) however... (laughs) By being a total dumbass. (laughs) Apparently. He has not been conclusively linked to the case. I'm going to look up a picture of this guy. We can see if it looks like... It's not evidence, but that would make a hell of a lot of sense if it was this serial killer who killed hitchhikers in that area. I don't think this guy looks like him at all. I don't... Okay, let me... Does he? Do you look at him and you go, "Wow, what a dope! What an absolute dunce!" Um, go put on your dunce cap and sit in the corner. Is that your reaction to seeing this man? Oh no, it doesn't really look like the sketch at all. I mean, it looks t- he, he just looks, looks like a norm- totally normal dude. Just a normal, a normal dude. He look, doesn't, look, like he doesn't look spectacularly stupid. <laughs> like notably, <laughs> where you'd be like, "What? Who is this person?" Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's okay, that actually kind of... Maybe it's not him. Or maybe those sketches are really bad. I don't know, but the sketches looked kind of similar to each other. They did, and that was why I was interested in it. Let me look at this link down here. Uh, so, I don't... There's not a ton more information. It seems like, you this know... This case is sad and horrible, and I feel so bad for his parents. And when his parents are talking on this segment, sitting there in their Sunday best about their dead son, it just broke my heart and i I may never be the same i hate it i hate that there is like no real conclusion to this i hate that this guy couldn't just drive to school to start his life i know it's really really upsetting his parents seem super nice and i don't know yeah he was just trying to yeah go to college become a doctor sucks it does suck. I will say that, yeah, the the vistas, the the shots of, very of Canada, well shot. beautiful. Robert Stack is looking sharp in like a brown uh, yeah, leather jacket. Leather jacket stack. Yeah, um, he's ready to to take you to the country club to hit a hit some golf balls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's a that's a change from the trench coat. So there's some some positives in this in this, this segment. I, um, there's there, also a great mustache. Oh, that's a great drawing of that mustache. It was like very thin on the ends. Um so this is a member of the Can- Royal Canadian Police has this mustache. I don't remember his name. So usually I name the mustaches just whatever pops in my head first as I'm drawing them. And from this one, what popped in my head was the gravy train. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> okay. You know what? You have to go with inspiration when it when it strikes. I maybe because sometimes you associate mustaches with like soup. Maybe. It does look like the ends of that mustache are are dipped in soup frequently. <laughs> so maybe I was like it's in the gravy? It reminded you of gravy? I don't know, but that's just, I wrote down the gra- and then Mac was like, no, you should call it the Royal Canadian Mustache Police. And I was like, well, okay, that one actually makes sense. <laughs> the Royal Canadian Mustache Police? <laughs> like they're just going around inspecting mustaches, investigating mustache-related crimes. Okay, folks, I'm still waiting for the crimes in the past were just crafts t-shirt, but I also want a Royal Canadian Mustache Police, which is just like, I don't know, a mustache riding a horse and like with a badge. I'm not really sure how the list logistics of that one, but so an artist out there can figure it out, I'm sure. 
I sort of feel like the gravy train makes sense, even though it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and I prefer Royal Canadian Mustache Police. Wow. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> Moving on to our second mystery. It is a missing person. This is also sad as hell. It's really sad. It's on a, another boat. Liz loves talking about boats. <sighs> I know so much about boats and their ships. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it starts with Robert Sack just waxing poetic about how vast oceans are and how You're he, a cruel mistress. He literally says, sometimes the sea can also be an unforgiving mistress, which sounds like something I would say as a joke. So I wrote that down. <laughs> and he talks about how the young especially are attracted to the sea and its wonders and dangers or I don't know. Something I don't remember ridiculous. what he said, but yeah. This These case, people didn't seem that young, though, so I didn't really quite understand. In early 20s. Oh, are they? Yeah. The Despite the casting. <laughs> yeah, the reenactment made them seem a lot older. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. Um, this goes back to 1990, April 12th, uh, just sort of south of Savannah. Four commercial fishermen embark into the Atlantic. Uh, they're on a ship called, what the hell is it called? Cassie like Claire, something. Cla- Cassie Marie? Cassie Claire Marie? The Cassie Nicole. Oh, okay, close enough. And they are leaving from Richmond Hill, Georgia. So the captain of the ship was a 23-year-old Billy Joe Nismith. And also on the ship was his brother Nathan, his nephew Keith Wilkes, and his friend Franklin Bortley. Brantley, I think. Um, and this was a snapper boat. It had recently been returned to service after five weeks at a drive dock for maintenance. Some shoddy ass maintenance. Mm, I, um, we don't know that the families of the people on this boat sue the owner of the boat, but I hope that they did. We also have another uh, mustache in this, which is from um, Nathan Nesmith, which was kind of thinner and yeah. I call it the, the Married to the Sea. Okay. I like it. I like that name. Okay. Unlike the gravy train. Not good <laughs> enough for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, they head out into the sea, as you do, for their fishing. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. For the fishing. For the fishing. Um, Nathan was uh, up steering the boat. And the other three of them were asleep. And at 4 a.m., he noticed that the boat was seeming kind of sluggish. It was, like, riding low. It was hard to steer. I don't really know. Boat stuff. So he went and woke up the captain, Billy. At which point, he was like, did you check this? Did you check that? And the guy was like, oh, no, we should. <laughs> All right. Did you look at the engine? <laughs> Let's try that. Let's try that. Well, it turned out that the boat had taken on a foot of water in the hold and to make things worse the pumps weren't working and the power was out great great so they had to wake up the other two crew members and when they like go into the hold to wake them up they're like in water i don't know how they were still asleep well they had bunks so they were raised up off the ground and there was like underneath the bunks was almost two feet of water so they're like yeah get up we gotta start bucketing this water out of here they do the thing where you have like a bucket line and you're just yeah shoveling water out of this boat but not fast enough man oh man however the boat kept sinking and was taking in water at a rate faster than they could get it overboard i mean of course And while they tried to get out a mayday distress signal before they lost power, nobody responded, and then they couldn't put out one anymore. Yeah. You know how we said last week that that boat sucked? This boat sucked a lot lot worse. Yeah, and unlike that boat, this one was actually sinking. (laughs) Yes, very different in a way. Um, So they had to abandon ship. So they get aboard this rifle. 
life raft, which uh, had a hole in it. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong with this. I totally it's very, blame the, it's very sad. The owner of this boat is not on it, and I completely blame him. So yeah. I hope he cannot sleep at night. They were like, we don't know if the, the raft got nicked on the anchor or it was just so old that it was rotten. I was like, oh, that's great. You're sending people out to sea with such old life rafts that they just fall apart. Yeah, the pumps are in such poor repair that they can't pump water out of the boat. It's just, a, it's just, yeah, a bad boat. So they get onto this life raft that has a hole in it. Which is not what you want in a life raft. And it was also not designed to hold that many passengers. Great. Which <laughs> was, and th- as far as we know, it was the only life raft they I had on board. So yeah. they didn't have adequate... So um, the raft also starts to sink with them on it by morning. But they grab onto uh, like the hatch for the hull cover is floating nearby. So they're holding on to that... When Nathan decides he's going to try to swim back to the sinking boat and see if he can make a distress call. I don't really understand this plan at all because the boat is like underwater at this point. I almost wonder if he made like a self-sacrificing decision. It didn't seem like all of them were going to fit on that little piece of boat that was floating there. And I think he thought, you know what, I'm going to swim over there and... Just hang on to this. Instead. So the the th- other three crew members are like, no, we shouldn't split up. Like, don't go. And he just starts swimming towards the sinking boat. He says that he swims from nine in the morning until dark. That is a long ass time. Which I cannot imagine because I am not a strong swimmer and it just sounds terrible. This guy didn't seem like a strong swimmer either. But I guess when your life is on the line, he- you do what <laughs> needs to be done. So he makes it to the boat. However... You know, it's too underwater. It's barely, like, only a bit of the hull is, like, poking above the surface. So he's just holding on to that for, I think, like, two Two days. days? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know. What an absolute nightmare. Uh Uh-huh. At some point, he sees this freighter ship in the distance, and he thinks it's by where the other crew members are, but it sort of comes and goes, and he's not able to get its attention. Fortunately for him, at some point, two days later, I think, this bait box that was in the boat, like, pops up to the surface, and it's huge. Yeah. It's just like a giant, I don't know if it's styrofoam or what, but it's just like a giant box they would have kept bait in, but it doesn't have a lid and he's able to like use it as a boat. So he gets into the bait box and then is in that for like another two days. Yep. So after being at sea for three days after their accident, he is finally rescued. Of course, he was like severely sunburned, had dehydration. He was starving. Yeah, he hasn't had any water or food in more than three days. But he's eventually rescued 20 miles off the coast of Georgia. There was a really large scale search by the Coast Guard. I think at the time it was like the largest search of the Atlantic, but they never found the other three crew members. Nope. And so the mystery, mystery is. Are they still alive? The rest of the crew of the Cassie Nicole. And the what he was hoping was that the freighter had picked them up. I didn't quite understand the theory here. Because 
they claim he claims that the freighter was moving strangely, and I assume he he works at sea. He understands how freighters move. He's it was also- like going back and forth. But at this point, was he thinking clearly? Yeah, he's um, it's very very far in the distance. I don't know. Also, they there's he's guessing that that was by where his crew was. I don't know that he really knows at this point. You have to be disoriented. You swam all day. Plus, they're drifting. Yeah. Plus. So, I don't know that that's anything. And even if it was, hypothetically, even if it was a freighter that picked up these stranded seamen, what the claim is that they're just holding them in a foreign country? I think that the idea was sort of like, they're slaves now. Yeah, I didn't quite understand that theory. Uh, I don't know. Like They're, just- they're being held against their will. Presumably, it's just another fishing vessel. Like, did they think it was like a pirate ship? Why would just other fishermen just hold these people? Is it just racism? I don't know. I mean, yeah. So that's not great, but. Okay, because it's going to get a little more racist. (laughs) The other evidence that they are still alive is that several family members of the crew receive what is called quote unquote strange phone calls. What's strange about these phone calls? They're in Spanish. <laughs> I would say that's not that strange. <laughs> it's just someone speaking Spanish. I I guess what is a little peculiar about it is it's just saying the name of the recipient and the telephone number over and over again. And it is strange that multiple different family members receive similar calls. But around the same time. But I'm- I actually don't think that has anything to do with this boat. And there's no reason to think it has anything to do with this boat except that it's they're connected People who received these phone calls knew it was the owner of the boat, who is a terrible person, and it was Nathan's sister, Oletta. But it's six months afterwards. Yeah, I'm sure there's a more reasonable explanation than... We don't know that these are the only two people that got these phone calls. Right. They just happened to bump into each other and both mention it. And they got five more calls over the next year. And then at one point, I think the last phone call someone received said, we're bringing them home. But did they, though? Who knows? I I mean, they didn't. No. These men never come back. They're lost at sea. I don't think... I don't think this is really a mystery. I think it's just a tragedy. Yeah. I think it's really fucking sad. Yeah. Um, They were acting like the fact that none of the, like, debris was found by the Coast Guard was... Worth noting, but it's the Atlantic Ocean. Um, things get lost at sea. Yeah, I don't know. Remember how Robert Stack was talking about how vast the sea was? Remember how entire planes can go missing in the ocean and never a trace is found? I mean, is this really sad and terrible? And I feel like the owner of this boat was just greedy and cheap and it cost three men their lives. But that's not really a mystery. No, not at all. Um, I feel really bad for these people. It's terrible. Does Unsolved Mysteries have any wiki have any update? The mysterious caller suggests they may have been taken to Cuba. What? The end of the calls may suggest that the caller was discovered, either by drug smugglers or his superior officers. What? what? You're just making shit up. <laughs> um, yeah, this is unsolved. It's just really sad. Yeah, it is sad. I feel bad for these people. They were really trying to hold out hope that their loved ones were still alive, but I don't see any evidence of that. No. 
So, and I hope they sued the owner of that boat. I hope so. If you want to see some fishermen mustaches, some yeah, jean overalls. If you want to be hear some bummed ac- out, some pretty sweet accents. But yeah, it's a bummer of a mystery. And now we have a last this- love. Unsolved Mysteries, like, does not want me to go on boats, by the way. That's true. People are... Unsolved Mysteries would have you believe that nothing good happens on boats. No, nothing good happens on a boat. Robert Stack said from his yacht (laughs) as he got massaged by two beautiful women. (laughs) One of them was Elizabeth Taylor. Oh. All right. Should we talk about this last love? Yeah, I guess. All right. This... (laughs) weird lost love this one's very weird i like the uh you know you get some old time outfits you get some mm-hmm. retro fashions uh this guy's a dick this one is yeah i usually you're watching lost love and you're like oh i so feel for this person looking for their loved one and this time i was like that's on you dude <laughs> yeah this one's a little bit strange mm. normally i love a last love but yeah. mm. we'll it's get not into really it. the same heartwarming feels that some of the other ones have. Not exactly. Okay, so 63-year-old Wilfred Boyd, who goes by Mac, is searching... (laughs) Not related to my Mac. (laughs) Searching for his daughter, whom he was quote, forced to abandon after his girlfriend's mother threatened... Mm, Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Threatened him. Okay. His story began in Pomona, California in 1948. Sorry. I'm totally interrupting you. I was just... A little bit impressed. He was even willing to admit he did this. Because he looks like such an ass. <laughs> I think he's gotten to a point in his life where he feels such guilt that he's willing to put this out there. He's like, look, America, I fucked up big. Just I, help me find my kid. I do kind of appreciate that he doesn't make excuses for his behavior, but that's about it. Okay, so... That's true. He was 20 at the time when he fell in love with his 16-year-old neighbor, Mary Helen Carr. hmm So, the one thing I can say about this mystery is that the the man who plays him in the reenactment is smoking hot, and I definitely and the appreciate that. And the woman that plays the... the- the love interest in the reenactment is fucking gorgeous. Looks a lot older than 16, which I kind of appreciate that they aged her up a bit in the reenactment. Uh, She's stunning. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, okay, I guess you would fall in love with a beautiful It's easy to forget woman. that he's tw- at the time he was 20 falling in love with a 16-year-old because, yeah, the actor and actress in this mystery are gorgeous. Right. right. Uh, so I enjoyed that. But anyway so he she lived next door and they described her as like the girl next door which is kind of gross to me because she was 16 but they were both consenting in this whole thing so keep that in mind i guess it's the past i don't know yeah so one day she approached him asking about his motorcycle he asked if she wanted to go for a ride but she said that her mother would forbid it Especially since he was four years older than she. However, yep. <laughs> however, a few days later, when her mother was not at home, they uh, he finally gave in and they went for a ride. He specifically, according to the reactman, was like, well, is your mother always here? And I was like, that's just like a bad sign. Yeah. It's just like a bad start. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not do that. Okay. So they... After the motorcycle ride, they began a discreet relationship. Mm -hmm. And then one day, her mother caught them together, and he felt that he had no choice but to leave. They don't say it in the reenactment, but I'm pretty sure her mother threatened to call the police. Yeah. And he was like, all right, time to leave town. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, this guy's good at that. So he went to the oil fields of Texas where he found work in Houston. Three weeks later, Mary ran away from home to join Mac in Houston. She called him from, oh, a, Mary. from a bus stop and he immediately went to pick her up. The next day, they posed as husband and wife to find uh, to go rent an apartment in Houston. Uh, they claimed to be very happy together. They planned to spend their whole lives together. But then one month later, a friend called and warned them that the police were on their way because Mary's mother had discovered where they were living and she was going to have him arrested for statutory rape. And then Robert Stack is like, the punishment for statutory rape could have been up to 30 years. As if it was, like, absurd. Yeah. It was like... Obviously, this 20-year-old and 16-year-old should have been together forever. Yeah. I can't believe the law would get involved. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand where her mother was coming from. Yeah. You don't want your 16-year-old daughter running off to Texas to... Is she still going to school? I don't think so. To live with this this man uh, who seems like she barely knew. They did. They were, you know, in love. They were both... You know, sure. consenting to this relationship, but I don't necessarily, they kind of painted her mother as like a bit of a villain, and I was kind of like, you know what? She's just trying to mother. Moms know best sometimes, and uh, this was maybe not the best situation for Mary Ellen. Anyway. This guy, when he's confronted with anything, just runs off, so I don't know that that is gonna give the mom a lot of confidence in him. Yeah, I agree. So he fled just seconds before the police arrived to arrest him. He kept driving until he uh, left Texas. You get this very dramatic him on a motorcycle at night. As like the seasons change almost. being super handsome. There's only the, the light of the headlight. It's very Twin Peaks actually. Yeah. Uh, Mary was taken back to California. A year passed, and Mac returned to California to take a new job. One evening, him and a friend stopped at a drive-through, a drive-in restaurant in Long Beach, and he was shocked to find Mary Ellen working as a car hop. So he kind of says, you know, California's a big place, though chances of me running into her were really slim. He couldn't believe that she just showed up. She then dropped a bombshell on him. <laughs> this is like something that would happen in, uh... Uh, Melrose Place. Right. And everybody's like, Liz, we don't know what that is. Well, whatever. So she says, do you want to stop by my apartment? She's like, I can't talk right now. I'm working. But if you want to stop by my apartment, here's my address. Here's my phone number. And you can come see our baby. It's also worth noting that that after she, he has to leave and she's, the police are there and she goes home. He didn't have a way to contact her, I guess. Don't... What did he know the mom's number? His next door neighbor? He was apparently terrified that her mother was going to have him arrested any second. So I guess he had no way. He was like, oh, I had no way to contact her. I would think they'd have friends. Like, wouldn't you know her friend's number? You could like, or something like that. Yeah. A friend was able to call them to warn him that the police were coming. So it's strange that he had like literally no way to get in contact with her. He was acting like he didn't know where she was. And I was like, isn't she just home with her mom? Because she's fucking 16. I think so. There so, seems like there's probably more to the story. Yeah. So later that evening, he went to the apartment and was shocked to find when he opened the door that Mary's mother was there holding their baby. Now, in the reenactment, her mother seems fine to see him. Um, I'm sure she probably wanted her daughter to have support for their child. He's also like shocked the mother is there. And I was like, who do you think's helping raise this kid? Yeah, it's probably not just her. At this She's point, gotta go to work and stuff. Was this a year later? So she was like, what, 17 or yeah. 18? Yeah. 
She was working at a, she was working. a waitress, so I kind of understand why her mother would be he helping like, out. Well, he's like, can I handle the fact that the mother who called the cops on him is there? <sighs> yeah, there's a lot about this. So he walks in the door, her mother's there, gives him a warm welcome, apparently, but he panics, freaks the fuck out, and stays less than five minutes before like literally running out the door. He was convinced that the police were going to just pop out, that this was a setup, it was some sort of sting operation. Uh, <laughs> because we all know the police take statutory rape very seriously. <laughs> and there's lots of sting operations. Yeah, yeah. So, now he went on to never marry. He never had children. His close family members have all passed away. He has a, a million dollar estate. At, at this point, he has a million dollar estate. he wants to leave to the youngster. That he just assumes is male. Because <laughs> he starts saying... he was, At first you can tell he's trying not to specify gender. He keeps saying youngster. But then when he, he'll be like him. I want him to have what I have. Right. I want him to blah, blah, blah. I was like, you don't actually know that this kid is a man. He didn't even stay long, to, long enough to learn the baby's name. To learn if the baby was a boy or a girl. Literally five minutes and then he just ran out of the house. And then never goes back. Or contacts her in any way. Ever again. I can get that he saw the mom and panicked and was he like... He could send a letter. He has the address. He can go back the next day. <laughs> he can go back at any time. He can wait until the mom leaves and go, what? <laughs> yeah. We're definitely supposed to feel a lot of sympathy for this man. I really don't. But... He's I, an, he, did he ever send money? No. Did he ever help in any way? No. He was well off he went on to be i think an engineer or an architect or something uh he was very successful he successful, claims that later in his life he attempted to find his his child but wasn't able to which at that point probably was too late but like liz said he, he could have gone the next week yeah he, had he knew where to go plenty of opportunities he had you know he could calm down from his freak out and Go back. Go, he supposedly loved this woman and wanted to spend his life with her. He definitely could have at least sent a letter or something. We're like, if you're really not going to arrest me, here's where I'm at. I don't know. Right. There seems like so many solutions to this problem. That just disappear. And he's like, I, I made this split decision, this minute decision. It was the biggest mistake of my life. And I was like, okay, but you could have fixed it the next day. <laughs> I'm not very sympathetic. No. So this is solved. As a result of the broadcast, Mac learned that he had a 43-year-old daughter named Sherry Blackman, who is married with two children. So their reunion is awkward, to say the <laughs> least. I, mean, I like that Robert Stack sort of prefaces it, but he's like, look, our reunions are really heartfelt. This woman has more mixed emotions. <laughs> he's like, it's not going to be as cuddly. As you want it to be. <laughs> and it's not. And it's not. Because it's, it's weird. Very awkward. Well, it's weird. I will. So Sherry apparently was raised by a loving stepfather. She had a family. She had a life. She had grown up. She had a family of her own. Yep. She didn't really need this panicky deadbeat <laughs> who can't toughen out a single problem. Yep. Just strolling in and being like, oh, I have no one in my life. Why did I make this mistake and then never do anything to rectify it? And so she's just sort of like, hey, dad, tell yeah. me about these million dollars, I guess. <laughs> it's extremely awkward. He, like, wants to hug her a lot more than she wants to be hugged. Why would she want to be hugged? 
fucked by him. I don't know. I will say that He's Sherry. He's a sperm donor. Sherry was extremely diplomatic about it. Her mother wants nothing to do with this jagoff. Uh, although her mother is the one who watched the broadcast and called in. So I guess she was kind of like, well, you know, it's up to Sherry. He's out there. He wants she to be in her life. It, like that's- the coldest way. Oh, yeah. Like. Well, I guess that's up to her. Mary Helen wants nothing to do with this guy. Why would you? Rightly so. I'm sure she's thinking arms off. Man, I was right. Yeah. I knew this guy wasn't worth anything. Well, she had to raise this child without his help, support, anything. He just abandoned her and he did not need to. And he's acting like we were so in love. And I was like, you would not have done this. No. If you really cared about this woman. Right. You would have found a way to contact her later, even if you thought you might get arrested. Yeah. You would have found a way to help her. Yep. This is cowardly and ridiculous, honestly. So Sherry goes on to say that um, it, finding out that she had a father out there that she didn't know about uh, was kind of traumatic and that she has to process it. But she does believe that there's room in this family for everyone. So I do Particularly think... people with a million dollars. That, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> helped. I'm sure that helped. If he had gotten in touch with three dollars, we might not be having this conversation. Yeah. So that's how that one ends. Now my favorite lost love for sure. No. Uh, but... This guy's ridiculous. Yeah. And I I think they cast him in the reenactment very generously. Yeah. <laughs> you can definitely, yeah, feel his guilt, which that part is kind of hard to watch, but he kind of deserves it. I mean, he... Th- it's his own fault. And at least it seems like he admits that, but... I, I feel know. like he admits it, but, like, not enough. That's Where true. Where he... He does call He admits it- that he made a mistake running out, but I think he made a mistake every single day after that, yeah. not doing anything to fix it. You're and right. that part he doesn't seem to recognize. No. That's that even true. if he thought he was going to get arrested, call her the next week. Yep. Like, yeah. It's yeah, really fucking true. send a letter. It's, like, it's really true. There's so many things he could have done, and he just, like, shut down, essentially. He just panicked and then was like, well, not doing that. Yeah. That's. It's totally unacceptable. He skirted his responsibility for sure. However, you could watch this reenactment to see some some hot some some hotties yeah. and some motorcycle riding yep. and so a little view into the past. And then you can also go, man, I'm glad that did not happen to me because that seems like it sucked. It really does. Ugh. Well, she had to like go back and deal with her family and be pregnant alone. I know. Uh. Yeah. Great. Okay. We got one more, right? One more. One more. Okay, this is a wanted. This takes place in Las Vegas, which Robert Stack points out is a mecca for every kind of hustler. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Robert Stack. Uh, This guy is like dirtbag central. I hate this man even more than the dude in the last segment. Mm -hmm. A lot more. Strong trigger warning in this one. Yeah, uh, okay. Actually, if you've got, like, I don't know, really anything, <laughs> sort of any kind of drama, you don't watch this. This guy is Maybe not. a total creepoid. Yeah. He's the fucking worst. I, I don't know. I hope he drops a brick on his foot every day of his life. <laughs> is that possible? I hate him so much. Uh, he was wanted for kidnapping, sexual assault, battery, and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. He also used to be a cop. Great. Lovely. 
So good. So we're introduced to Maxwell Carson, a smooth talker who was in the business of sports betting, film production, and had a modeling agency. A, uh, quote, modeling, modeling agency, agency, unquote. Um, he was actually William John Wood, and he had resigned from the Toledo Police Department after being investigated for misconduct. Hmm. Between 1977 and 1985, he served jail time for a number of offenses, including check fraud, impersonating an officer, and assault with intent to rape. Cool. So when I said I wanted that brick to fall on his foot, I actually meant his head <laughs> and penis. <laughs> That was a mistake on my part. So, in 1986, he moved to Las Vegas, where he started calling himself Maxwell Carson, because he wanted a super fake name. (laughs) And he used his image as a movie producer to manipulate vulnerable, beautiful women. Cool. Cool. Um, that's great. So in November 1989, he uh, was holding auditions for a film and was particularly interested in someone that is being called Tiffany by Unsolved Mysteries. Um, she talks to us, but it's that thing where she's like in shadow and we, you don't really get to see her. Um, because I, I think because he was wanted at the time. Um, so I think he like runs out of money for his stupid fake businesses and he has to shut them down, but he's pretending they're still up and running. They weren't ever real to begin with. I think he just like rented a space where he could bring women and have them stand in front of a blue screen and like yeah. he ran a shitty fan that like blew their hair around and like snapped some photos. <laughs> right. It was, like, it was just a a way for him to be a creep. Yeah. And I think it at some point had like more trimmings, so it seems like more legitimate and then he like couldn't keep that going because I'm not sure the business really made any money other than maybe his scams. Like I'm sure he charged them for a headshot and pre- yeah, but probably. I, it didn't seem like that really was super lucrative and it ended up closing down. So, yeah, by 1990 he shut down his offices, but he still calls quote tiffany uh, saying that he needs a last minute replacement for a photo shoot and that she's gonna be perfect so she meets him at a motel where he says he's got two rooms reserved for the shoot one is like where they're gonna shoot and one is gonna be her dressing room and there's a limo outside that he says is gonna be for the shoot but once they get in the room there's no one else there and he gets on the phone and like pretends to call the makeup artist and the photographer she has immediate red flags yeah she immediately something's up so she's like look no one else is here i'm really not comfortable also he like insists on a hug which is so creepy yeah so as but as soon as she's like look i'm gonna go i'm not comfortable being here by myself he goes closes the motel door blocks her from leaving and assaults her yep he also told her that if she went to the police he would accuse her of prostitution great because he is the absolute worst. Yes. And I hope a bear eats his arm while a jaguar is eating his other arm. <laughs> Nothing too bad could happen to this man. Yeah, it's really true. But a credit to her courage. She goes to the police she anyway. She goes to the police anyway. And then there is a warrant out for his arrest. Mm-hmm. They do believe her. Fortunately. I mean, you can imagine how many women didn't go to the police. Yeah. You know, because he's threatening them. Also, like, who wants to deal with that? No one. They're probably not going to believe you. They're going to believe him. Like, you might get charged with prostitution. Like, 
Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. But she had the courage. She went. Uh, Unfortunately, I think he, like, finds out there's a warrant out for him and he's already fled. Yep. So, the next time we hear from him, he has resurfaced in Cocoa Beach, Florida. He had arranged to meet a woman in a hotel lobby, but it was actually a sting operation. So, he thought he was hiring a sex worker. It was really someone undercover that was wearing a wire. So, then the police swoop in and arrest him. Unfortunately, because... Uh, the criminal justice service system works so well they released him before figuring out there was a warrant out for his arrest for something more serious yeah it was one of those situations where he had a warrant out in a different you know in nevada right he is now in florida they did eventually figure it out but by that point he had made bail was, or whatever yeah he was already fled. out and gone so but fortunately um when this segment aired a viewer tip led authorities to him in san francisco where he was living under a different name so he was captured and sentenced to 20 years which i appreciate for attempted sexual assault and six years for sexual coercion he has since been released i i just i hope he dies a miserable death it's the absolute fucking worst yeah it's horrible to hear about police officers that are this kind of person it's really scary yeah it is and so yeah i mean enjoy dropping that salt block on your penis every day dude (laughs) I'm not I sure. Fucking hate you. He might not still be with us. And um, yeah. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> His last parole hearing was apparently in 2012. Okay. And his file is marked as discharged, released. That is the last update Unsolved Mysteries Wikis has on this fucker. Well, maybe he's being eaten by a jaguar William right now. William John Wood. We can only hope. What an absolute dirtbag. <laughs> And that's a wrap on episode 15. Yeah. As I say, this one's kind of a downer. This was a pretty big bummer. I saw that there was a lost love and I got excited, but it was kind of depressing. It was, yeah. It was a dirt bad so, lost love. Should we rate this episode? Okay, let's Mi- try. Mysterious. It's not very mysterious. No, no, I'm these are. I'm very sure that those well, men were lost at sea. Not, I feel like the first one is, is pretty okay, mysterious. That's true. I feel like one out of four is mysterious. Is that enough for a thumbs up, though? No. Probably not. At least a thumb sideways. But that segment is really good. It's just sad. Yes. So that brings us to our next our next category, which is reenactments. And I thought the reenactments actually, were pretty reenactments good. Actually, reenactments are very good. I thought they were pretty good. The last segment, they're actually kind of scary. So, yeah, definitely a trigger warning on that. Mm-hmm. So, thumbs up? Thumbs up yeah, for I reenactments? Would say, I, I would thought, say thumbs up for reenactments. That episode was shot really And well. I'm sure the stuff at sea was really hard to do. Yeah. And it looked good. Definitely. So. Uh, fashion. Uh, yeah, I'm there's gonna say good, thumbs up there's for good the, all the retro. All, yeah. Are these hot reenactors wearing their retro the, duds? The retro girls next door, girl next door fashion was yeah. was pretty solid. I liked so, it a lot. Thumbs up for that, and so I'm gonna go stack a thumbs up too for Me wearing too. that leather jacket. He was looking sharp. He's like, I don't know, where would you go in that outfit? Well, he was in front of some trees, which seemed appropriate. Yeah, I guess. I can't really. Can you imagine watch Robert Stack just like? Outside, going for a walk. It's kind of weird, right? really. No. I can just picture him, like, sitting by a fireplace with his feet up, being handed a drink. <laughs> well, this might be the outfit for that. I guess. Maybe at his, like, cabin estate. Yeah, this something. is, like, the the outfit he wears to go look at new property he's gonna yeah. buy. It's, like, but, like, not a Minnesota cabin, like, Northern California or something. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's really, like, an estate. Yeah, it's, like, a, um, just his fourth mansion or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's just sort of We have wooded. no idea how rich Robert Stack was, <laughs> no. but in our mind, so rich. 
pretty much. He's like, oh, this is, I'll go look at my show ponies. <laughs> right? They were Robert Stack 1 through 7. Yeah, that's what he named them. Oh my god. Alright, uh, yeah. Out of a possible five Robert Stacks. I'm gonna say three, I guess. But I don't really like it because it's sad. Yeah. The overall tone of this episode is like, man, life is hard and brutal and a bummer. Big bummer. And then maybe your loved ones will be killed by a hitchhiker or lost at sea, or maybe the man you love will have a panic attack and then never contact you again. (laughs) Yeah, a three feels right. Yeah, but it's like a, it's a soft three. It's a soft three for sure. But we don't have to talk about it anymore because now we get to talk about recommendations. Here's the thing though. Do I have a recommendation? You can recommend. I recommend a starting so a podcast stuff. so you get free stuff. Actually, I'm gonna recommend. I really feel like I should wait because I'm not done reading this book. I'm just gonna admit that right now. But I'm really enjoying it. Okay. So I'm gonna recommend this book that I recently got called Becoming Dangerous, Witchy Femmes, Queer Conjurers, and Magical Rebels. And it is a collection of 21 essays edited by Katie West and Jasmine Elliott. I wanted to read this because it was recommended by the Fat Feminist Witch, which if you don't listen to her podcast, you should. It's my fave. And I take her book recommendations very seriously. <laughs> So she mentioned this, and I was like, oh, I got to check it out. And I'm really enjoying it so far. It's not quite what I expected. It's actually a lot more relatable than I thought it would be. Oh, good. And the topic of magic sort of brings these essays together, but they're all different, and they all have kind of different approaches. And I feel like it's a good, I don't know if I want to say like inspirational, but it's like, it's hitting home. Like, it's hitting hard, and I'm really... Oh, good. I'm really enjoying it. Here's a little, like, little blurb from the back where it says, This is a book about magic, where it comes from, and how queer women and femmes, women of color, and trans women have used it since the dawn of humanity to survive in a world that was just as soon have them enslaved or dead. That sounds really good. Yeah. I, In a way, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to say about this. But I'm just going to say you should read it because it's super interesting and... I haven't really talked about on this podcast that I have fibromyalgia, but a lot of these essays are sort of connecting with me and, like, having chronic illness, which is not something that I expected. Oh, okay. So I really appreciate that. So if there's any aspect of your life where you feel sort of marginalized or disenfranchised, even if you're not particularly interested in magic, like literal magic, I would still think you should check this book out. Awesome. I also think it has a really beautiful cover, Yeah, so which is I, something I appreciate in a book. I don't know a ton about this, but this started as a Kickstarter project somehow. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't really know, like, how or how people became interested in it, but it's also interesting to me that it's, like, so good, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely. Because I wouldn't... I wouldn't, ex- like, I didn't know that when I bought it, and then it says something in the back about, like, thanking the people... From you know, there's like an acknowledgement thanking people from Kickstarter, and I was like, oh, I would sort of expect something that was published that way to be crappy. <laughs> no offense, but this is like legit. Like okay. this doesn't seem like a self-published. Like it doesn't. No, I don't know. So I'm really enjoying it. I'll update. I guess I'll update more once I finished. Maybe I'll, I'll feel more legitimate in my recommendation that way. Yeah. 
but I would say check it out. I feel like you're selling yourself a little short because you are starting a, a I don't know, a casual book club associated with this book. Because I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because I plan on reading this book too, because this is our first selection. Yeah, And so- I'm really looking forward to picking it up. Samantha and I know each other because we're both in a true crime book club, mm-hmm. and that can be kind of a bummer, reading <laughs> yeah. a lot of true crime. I am not always super into it anymore. And so what I realized that I wanted was more of a feminist book club, but also that met every other month, so you didn't have to read a book every month. And then I was like, Liz, you're not going to just... You have to make that. Yeah, I don't know that that exists. Well, it <laughs> yeah. does now. I, 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 like, these are like very specific requirements that you have for this book. You're just going to have to make it. Yeah. yeah so yeah, now sure. we have a feminist book coven. I'm excited about it. I also appreciate that it's every other month because I actually organize the other book club, and which means that I have to read the book every month. I feel like I need to come having read it. So that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to make sure that you get the book done on time. And adding another book club on top of that is just a bit too much. Also, so, Samantha has so many books about diseases to read. I hardly have the time yeah, to read so, anything else. So. Um, I'll, yeah, once. Well, we can both talk about it a little bit once we've both read it. How I'm about excited. That? that sounds great. Okay. All right, I'm also recommending a book, and I realize that I always recommend books, but that's pretty much all I do is read. Uh, in the month of October, I'm trying to read some spooky selections. Great idea. So I've curated my to-be-read pile in such a way that it's a lot of horror and spooky stuff. Uh, the first one, so I'm hoping to bring you some spooky recommendations this month. And the first book I finished from my list is really, really good. So I'm definitely recommending it. It is The Changeling by Victor Laval. Oh, okay. And Victor Laval is a very successful author. However, I've never read anything by him before. I picked this one up because it came up in a list of horror books that I was browsing through. It's not really my genre. I don't read a lot of horror. So I was kind of scrolling through Scribd to try and find stuff I might like. And this one came up. I liked the pre- the, the premise. Which is, uh, it follows a main character named Apollo, whose own father abandoned him as a child. As an adult, we follow him through his life. He meets a woman named Emma, and they have a child. This book calls itself a modern fairy tale. Okay. I like that. set in New York City. Uh, They have a son of their own. And shortly after their son is born, Emma starts behaving strangely. Uh, She's diagnosed with postpartum depression, but she believes that something else is going on. She becomes convinced that their son or the the child in their home is not their son. Mm. Um, And she ends up doing... uh, The blurb on the back of the book calls it The Unthinkable. And that sets in motion um, a series of events that takes Apollo into this fantastical world he never knew existed. Um, It's very well done. Uh, like I said, this is the first book by Victor Laval that I've read, but he's clearly a master of his craft because it pulled me in immediately. I could hardly put it down. Um, I really enjoyed the storytelling, sort of third-person narration. Um, and what I liked the most about it is that Victor Laval reads the audiobook. Okay. Which typically I don't like. I don't always like, especially for fiction, I don't always like when the author reads the book. Because, because they're not, they're not performers. Voice, yeah, they're not voice yeah, actors. yeah. But Victor Lavelle has this delivery that is kind of monotone, which you wouldn't think would be good, but it sort of gives the book a dreamlike feel, mm. which lends itself super nice, nicely to this fantastical, um, there's witches, there's magic, but it's all set in a modern time and in New yeah, York yeah. City. Extremely good. I read it in less than a week. Highly recommend. 
Um, I didn't think like a modern fairy tale would be something I'm into. It's definitely not for children. Um, it's horror for sure. It's not scary. Okay. Um, Interesting. I liked it. It was different. And I don't know, you could probably debate whether or not it's spooky. It's not a ghost story, but it is fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a good read for October, and I'm glad I read it first, because I think it really kicked off my nice. my little spooky reading plan for the month. And yeah, I really, really liked it. If you uh, subscribe to Scribd, it's on there. Um, highly, highly recommend. Really liked it. Definitely recommend the audiobook. Oh, I do have a quick correction from when I was talking about, so for book club, we're both going to be reading The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. And I made a reference to the Vincent Price movie, House on Haunted Hill. Mm. Uh, not connected at all. <laughs> okay. Well, so, Aaron, haunted, haunted and Hill and House are in the title, so I it's understand. Also about strangers being brought to a... Ha- I, okay. All right. There's there, similarities. There's some similarities. I'm assuming one inspired the other, but... um. Curtis is being freaking adorable. <laughs> He's rolling around on the ground. This is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. So anyway, apparently those things are not related. I assumed that they were, but my mistake. Okay. Well, anyway. I still- <laughs> In case that was... Yeah. I, I just apologized, Curtis. If you're looking to buy The Haunted of Taunting of Hill House, because... Look, I went to two used bookstores. Could not find that book anywhere. Uh, the line at the library was too long. So I ended up buying it on Amazon for $12. The hardcover is the same price as the paperback. And the hardcover is like a special edition that has like black pages. Ooh. And a really pretty cover. It's like, yeah, Penguin Horror, some special edition. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I just started it. I'm just a few pages into it. But I'm I'm, I'm digging oh, you it. You have to pick that up. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I'm listening to the audiobook. Okay, cool. Um... And I'm not, yeah, I'm not done, but I like it so far. Nice. Anyway, I think is that it? everything? I think it is. So let's plug our shit. I, I would recommend also after you watch this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, like, you're going to need a palate cleanser. Yeah. The reason we end our show with recommendations is because we try to have a little palate cleanser at the end of our show after talking about some depressing topics. Yeah. But I feel like if you're going to watch this episode, you're going to need, like, I don't know, a bowl of strawberry ice cream. You're going to need something. Here's another thing I recommend. Look up Sandman Cat on YouTube. <laughs> okay. It's the perfect palate cleanser. It's hilarious. I watch it at least once a week. It's just people that use TikTok to make their oh, cats right. dance to the to Mr. Sandman. <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny. Uh, my husband thinks I've kind of lost it every time I turn on YouTube on our TV and look up He's Sandman like, Cat. Oh, not Sandman Cat again. But like one went viral and then people copied it with yeah, their own yeah. cats. And so you can find these compilations of people doing this TikTok video of so fucking funny. It's like what the internet, that's all that should be on the internet, I swear. Thank you, Al Gore. Yeah. So that's my recommendation for a palate cleanser. That's a great recommendation. Sandman cat. Or I'll post the video in our Facebook group, maybe. Also some videos of some capybaras just chilling. Oh, Always good. In a hot tub? Yeah. Definitely. In Japan? Definitely. With like lemons and stuff in there. They're, they're taking like a, like a glorious spa day. I know. It's wonderful. <sighs> we need that. Yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, okay. So you can find us on social media at Perhaps It's You, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes. What else? Okay. So we have a Patreon. If you give us even a dollar a month, because we're the best deal in town, you get a bonus episode every month. You get mm-hmm. a postcard from us. There's a whole backlog of episodes we've done like 21 or 22 yeah, episodes so now? it's a really great deal yeah if you give us five dollars a month you get a digital coloring sheet uh last month's was a grave that said tell my enemies i hate them <laughs> and i really really enjoy people seeing people's 
colored sheets. I, I love, love it, it so Definitely much. Definitely tag us on Instagram because I love to share them and I, I save them all in our Insta highlight story thing for Patreon. So you can go check out all of our past coloring sheets and masterpieces that our listeners have created. And a new, if you do $10 a month, you get a quarterly gift after you've been doing it for three months and a new thing is going to be going out this month. So that's exciting. Yep. That's a secret right now. You don't get to know what that is. Um, bah, 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 bah. oh, you should send us your paranormal tales, your ghosty stories. We need them. Have you seen an alien? Have you seen a chupacabra? You need to email us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. There's also a form on our website, perhaps it's you.com. Our website's been a little neglected, but I'm working on updating it. So hopefully by next week, it'll be up to date. What you can always find on our website are our episodes. So I'm sure you're listening to this already. You don't need this information. But if you want to send someone to us to listen, you can send them They're to our website. At perhaps it's you.com. They're all there. It's, it's a Along plethora. Along with some gorgeous pictures of us by friend of the pod, Stephanie. Yes. Which we need to update because we both got haircuts since we had those pictures yeah. taken. But I One look so days. good in those I pictures, know. though. I know. I might just keep them forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that everything? I think so. Until yeah. next oh, time. Oh, rate us. Five stars. Oh, yes. Apple Podcast. We could use we some need more ratings. It. We need it. Oh my oh thank you Helen for your review, by the way. So nice. I agree that Robert Stack is a standard of measurement. Look at Curtis. Curtis right now. is so cute. Is he just like a robot programmed for optimal cuteness? <laughs> he's so cute. He's he's rolling around what? on his back again. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all the support. We really appreciate all the gummies. You guys are the best. Hang in there in this tough world and go solve some mysteries.